the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. We're going to be talking about human sexuality throughout Scripture. We're going to be focusing specifically on homosexual practice as we take a look at what it is the Scripture says. And this is what the Scripture says. The first thing that the Scripture gives to us that we need to make note of as we began this sermon series, and that's in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we're, uh, we're told, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we're told about Adam and Eve and the first poetry in the Bible, which is Adam speaking some poetry upon seeing his wife and realizing that this is the wonderful, glorious compliment that God has made for him. And God, in Genesis chapter 1, creates all things. In Genesis chapter 2, he invents marriage, and he invents it with a certain desire that it would be between one man and one woman uh, for life. And, uh, and he's going to pick that up in Mark chapter 10. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But note that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God creates both men and women in his image, absolutely equal in terms of dignity, but also very distinct, different, each having a glory, all their own. Men being made men. And it's a very good thing that men were made to be men and women being made to be women. It's a very good thing that women were created to be women. And the fact that God created marriage to be a certain thing means that God created men and women to have corresponding parts. As some of the poets of our time have said, the postal service, I'm thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirror images and when they kiss, when we kiss, they perfectly align. I have to speculate that God himself did make us into corresponding shapes like puzzle pieces from the clay. And that's right. God made the man and the woman to be corresponding parts like puzzle pieces that fit perfectly together. Now, any kind of sexual activity that's outside of that marriage relationship of one man, one woman, 
is not in accord with how God has created us to live. And as we think specifically about homosexual practice, let me refer to this in uh, Leviticus 18, Mark 10, and Romans chapter 1. So Leviticus 18, 19 to 23 says this, You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she's in her menstrual uncleanness, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. These are serious sins that are recorded in the book of Leviticus. We know that because of the ascending nature of the offenses that are listed in Leviticus chapter 18. We know that because the crescendo of the book of Leviticus is Leviticus chapter 19, which reaches its height with a declaration of God's holiness. And we know that these are serious sins because in Leviticus chapter 20, the punishment for the sin is very severe. So let's continue on in the scriptural witness and camp for a while on Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, which I read at the very beginning of our time together, notes that Jesus is going into the region of Judea. That's the region of Herod. Now, if you remember in the book of, uh, in the book of Mark from uh, your own reading of it, this, there was the story of John the Baptist who was imprisoned and then put to death because he was saying, it's not lawful for you to have your sister as a wife, Herod. And so as Jesus comes into the area, the Pharisees determine that they're going to test him by asking him about divorce. They're going to ask him to make a statement about divorce in the area where they're hoping he will be arrested and imprisoned just like John the Baptist was in the most difficult possible area for him to answer this question. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus doesn't actually give a reason for divorce in the passage to the Pharisees. Instead, he gives us a definition of marriage. And it has three parts, male and female, husband and wife, united for life. Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and he applies it again to marriage, reminding us that the authoritative interpretation of what marriage is, is an intrinsic union between husband and wife, one man, one woman for life. Let me spend just a little bit of time working through each of these. He starts with male and female. For the ground of marriage, Jesus points back to the way that God created the world, He directs our attention to the very beginning of Genesis, and this is important because it illustrates that the nature of marriage and the nature of manhood and womanhood was created by God and intended by him before the fall, before the corruption of the world by sin. God created us at the very beginning to be male and female in his own image, and there are many, many, many important truths that relate to this. I relayed them to you at the beginning. Let me just say again, equal in dignity, equal in respect, equally made in God's image, and distinct. Humanity was made to be the height of God's creation, the most beautiful part of an extraordinarily beautiful creation. Creation, we're told, is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then after the creation of the man and the woman, it's very good. It's the crowning jewel of everything that God has made. It's beautiful. And this difference that is baked into the way that God made the world is important. 
there's a scholar named Peter Jones, who's a scholar of paganism. And he says this, that in Christianity, especially in the way that Christianity gives the creation stories, it focuses on the two. All of creation is this difference between God as the creator and the creation that he speaks into existence. He's always making distinctions. He's separating the, uh, the light from the darkness. He's separating the water from the air. He's separating the land from the water. He's separating men from women. He's making distinctions. The pagan mindset seeks to make everything one, eliminating distinctions. In the pagan mindset, God is not distinct from his creation, but is a part of creation. Therefore, God is part of the world, and so you worship creation. That's paganism. He says that you could describe Christianity as twoism, as loving distinctions, and paganism as oneism, as trying to erase distinctions. What does that mean for us? It means that we should rejoice in the distinctions that God has made us with, male and female, men and women. We should be so grateful for how God has made the world to be because it is delightful and beautiful. It means that we should rejoice in the distinctions that are present in marriage. Now, I I, I don't know how to say it other than this is a, a very beautiful thing. You know, and this is the time where you could insert jokes about how, you know, one of the parts of the husband and the wife making it so that sometimes we don't understand each other, right? And and I'll just give one illustration. So when Aubrey, yeah, yeah, I heard a couple of laughs, which I totally understand, and I hope this is an okay story. It is an okay story. So Aubrey and I uh, had been married for about a year, and we went to a hotel. And at this point, uh, we had been married for a year much, you know, time enough to establish our sides of the bed. And so uh, I got ready first, and I got into my side of the bed. And Aubrey finished getting ready, and she came out of the bathroom, and she said, why are you on my side of the bed? And I said, I'm not on your side of the bed. I'm on my side of the bed. And she's like, no, you're not. You're on my side of the bed. And I said, no, no, no. I always sleep on the left side of the bed. And she said, no, no, no. You always sleep on the side of the bed further away from the bathroom. (laughs) Now, we were both right by her definition and by my definition. We were both right. By my definition, I was on the correct side of the bed. By hers, I was on the incorrect side of the bed. And what that illustrated for me is that we were approaching this in different sorts of ways and that that distinction was good and a part of the necessary uh, difference that's a part of marriage. And those differences can be frustrating. They can be confusing. But they're ultimately beautiful, they're wonderful, and they're part of the way that God has created the world to be. And this man and woman are called to be husband and wife. In verses 6 and 7 and 8 of Mark chapter 10, talk about that. Jesus gives to us something that's extremely simple, but in our time, it's very challenging. That in creating us male and female, and that in establishing the first marriage for himself, God provided for us a definition of what marriage is. And that is, it, it is one man married to one woman, which makes one flesh, and it is a union that is not to be broken apart. One woman, one man, equaling one flesh marriage. Let me use some big terms to describe this. There's something intrinsic to marriage. Marriage has a God-established ontology. Let me use some small words to describe this. Marriage is something. 
God is the one who determines that what that something is because he's the one who made it. We don't get to decide what marriage is. Not even the highest judges of our land get to determine what marriage is because God made it and God decides what it is. Marriage is something. It's one man being united to one woman until death. It's not one man being united to another man. It's not one woman being united to another woman. It's not multiple men being united to multiple women. It's not multiple men being united to one woman. It's not multiple women being united to one man. It is one woman being united in covenant to one man for the extent of their lives. And I want to put this plainly. If you have a different definition of marriage, then you disagree with Jesus. And let me just give you a pro tip. It's not good to disagree with Jesus. Not ever. If you think that marriage can and should look different than a one man, one woman, one flesh union that's not dissolved until death, then you're not following the teaching of Jesus on this point. If I ever think that I'm not following the teaching of Jesus on this point. This does not mean that we hate those who disagree with Christ's definition. This doesn't mean that we withhold compassion from those who disagree with Christ's definition. And this does not mean that we slander those who disagree with Christ's definition. This is not to say that we withhold love from those who disagree with Christ's definition. And it's important to say that it's good that within our society, secular progressives want people who are same-sex attracted to be free from bullying. It's good that secular progressives want people who are same-sex attracted to be free from loneliness, to have companionship, to be treated with kindness. It's good that secular progressives want people who are same-sex attracted to come out of the closet and for people to understand and know them, all the parts of their life. But it is very bad that society has changed the definition of marriage, and it is evil that secularists encourage same-sex erotic behavior. And if we join in approving of this, we are not loving people who have same-sex attraction in our midst or in our communities. We are siding with the devil inside of them and against them. We are foolishly believing that we have their back when we're simply agreeing or agreeing to disagree. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. 1 Corinthians 13 defines what love is for us as Christians. And we're told that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Same-sex unions are not a part of God's design for marriage. Same-sex erotic behavior is described by God as sinful. Therefore, it is the opposite of loving. To rejoice or participate in a redefinition of marriage. And having said all that, let's turn to the most famous New Testament passage on homosexual practice, which is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. And for this, I lean very, very heavily on my friend and brother, Chris Gansky, who has been a mentor to me uh, in a whole host of different ways, but particularly on this matter. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the passage starts with a, a universal, a declaration of universal sinfulness of all of creation. 
So Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following is a section of scripture in which we can all, we all must find ourselves because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and therefore the universal condemnations of those who exchange the truth of God for a lie, every one of us is found in this particular section of scripture. And having established that universal sinfulness of humanity, then Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, applies it in three different ways. And Paul says, and so he gave them over, and he gave them over, and he gave them over. And so starting at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, this particular passage, Paul sets out the universal sinfulness of humanity. He says that God's nature is able to be clearly seen through that which has been created, which leaves all people without excuse. That we can tell by looking at the world, by being able to see that there is a world, that there is a creator of that world, that there is a God. We live in a society right now that is secular. Secularism has sort of pervaded the Western global world from the time of about the end of World War II, where it began to today. This is the first time in the history of civilizations where a civilization has not believed that there is a God. It is highly unusual on the world stage. And sometimes as I speculate about all of this, I wonder if it's because we spend so much time indoors now, an unusually large amount of time indoors compared to the history of the world. This is speculation now, but I just think about the fact that so many people, especially if it's real hot or real cold, will wake up in a climate-controlled home and get into a climate-controlled car and drive to a climate-controlled job, you know, unless you have a real job like uh, construction or something like that, right? There are so many people and then drive back to their climate-controlled home. And I think in that sort of context, people are like, yeah, there's no God. It's just what we've made. And it's like, well, you haven't, you haven't been in his creation at all. Because the natural thing for us is that when we're in creation is to recognize that there is a creator. So Romans 1 tells us is that just by looking at the world, we should be able to determine that there is a God. And this means that recognizing there is a God, we are accountable to God. Paul then tells us about the deepest root of the fall. And it's not in any one of the various vices that he talks about. It's not uh, specifically about what he says as it relates to sexuality. The deep root of the fall is rebellion against God. And that's what verse 21 tells us. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Refusal to recognize God as God and show gratitude fundamentally is rebellion against God as the creator, which leads to a terrible exchange. Because of this terrible exchange, because of suppressing the knowledge of God, which is accessible to us in creation, Human beings became morally stupid creatures. Verses 22 to 25. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. This is the fundamental, uh, this is the fundamental rebellion. This is the terrible exchange. God offers us his glory and we determine that we're going to follow idols instead. We exchange the glory of God for human things. God comes to us and says, you can know me and my glory. 
And we say, I'd rather just have a nice family life or a bigger house or a nice car or success or any one of those sorts of things. Any one of those sorts of things that might be an idol, whether it be reputation or appearance or wealth or influence, whenever we exchange the glory of God for any one of those things, we're participating in the terrible exchange. We're giving up God's glory for something that's a part of this passing away world. And then Paul applies it in three specific ways, God giving them up. Verse 24 is the first one. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Wrath here is being revealed in the fact that God is giving people over to their lusts. Wrath here is not saying that there is fire and brimstone that falls upon those who do these things. It's not saying that these people experience wrath in, uh, in that sort of vivid way right now in the course of this life. What it's saying is that the wrath is manifested through the fact that people want to do these things. Wrath here is God giving us over to the very things that our twisted hearts so desire. Wrath here from God is God's refusal to intervene. He's let us have the very thing that we want. And the consequence of this idolatry is that it debases both the worshiper and the idol. And he talks about lustful practices at first. And so what that means for us is that if you're someone who is in an adulterous relationship or sleeping with somebody that you're not married to or you're engaging in in pornography or you're doing any other lustful behavior and, and you're not bothered by it anymore... Your conscience isn't telling you that you need to stop. You don't think it's a big deal anymore. That means that you're experiencing God's wrath because you want that sinful thing rather than his righteousness and purity, which is so wonderful. You want the sin rather than the glory of God. And giving you that thing that you want other than the glory of God is God's, it's God's wrath to want anything chiefly instead of God, to not be convicted about that, then sexual disorder is a manifestation of God's wrath. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Same-sex relationships illustrate this terrible exchange that has already taken place in all of our hearts between creator and creature. And this terrible exchange continues to reverberate through the created order. As we talked about at the very beginning of our time together, God's design was for male and female. Man leaving his father and mother, being united to his wife, the two becoming one flesh. Homosexual activity undermines God's created intention for marriage and sexuality and therefore symbolizes this terrible exchange. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 1 here, it's not simply that it lacks the covenantal commitment framework of traditional male-female marriage, but that it violates God's original design of male-female complementarity. It's an overthrowing of the moral order that God has built into created beings as male and female from the beginning. It's an assault on our personhood as being created 
male and female in the image of God. It's an assault on our personhood because in such a relationship, one person, in essence, play acts as the woman or play acts as the man. Now, hearing these words, this might be like, yeah, of course for you. Or it may be that this is really difficult. Hearing and accepting these words in our particular context, in our particular culture, seems so challenging because it feels like an assault on the personhood of those whose sexual orientation doesn't match God's design. And because of that, what I've said here today would be termed by some people, especially secular elites, as hate speech, rooted in the fact that sexual identity is now a fundamental category. This is reflective of a, of a huge revolution in personhood that has been taking place for a, a hundred years or so, 150 years maybe. It, what it says, what this revolution says, what this is that what is most central to who I am is my sexual identity. Sexual orientation is a 19th century invention of Sigmund Freud, which had the effect of helping us define personhoods in terms of our sexual desires and its gendered object. That sexual self-expression is a fundamental human right. What the Christian needs to say is that you are not your sexual identity. You are more than your sexual attraction. The scripture says to us that there is no such thing really as a heterosexual person or a homosexual person. But there are people created in the image of God, called to be holy, called to use their bodies in a way that honors their creator, and called to engage in sexual behavior, sexual intimacy only in the context of a union between one man and one woman. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.